Hello and welcome. This is Alex and this is the Alex MacPhail podcast, a show all about learning, about celebrating success from the team front. We chat to astronauts and race pilots, entrepreneurs, billionaires, authors, singers, artists, adventurers and more. It's about understanding the team dynamics and making a team work well to achieve great things, learning from failures and setbacks and the endurance required to get through some of these tough events too. Please enjoy it, share it with a friend and remember to subscribe. This episode is proudly brought to you by North Star Asset Management. North Star Asset Management is a research-led boutique asset manager that provides specialist solutions for discerning investors. The investment process is built upon an obsession for research, which is applied to a limited number of meticulously managed portfolios. The outcome is excellent client service with results to match. For more information, head on over to northstar.co.za. That's northstar.co.za. Wow, that was a fun conversation going down memory lane with Paul Harris. We were uh, at, in school together in Fishhook. Paul Harris, uh, the spin bowler for the South African team, played 37 tests for the Pro Tiers and uh, famously got Sachin Tendulkar out in his first test match for the Pro Tiers. Uh, went on to get four wickets in that first innings and uh, he, did, uh, he did very well in the test format of cricket. Great guy. We used to play table tennis together in high school and uh, certainly we had uh, you know, mutual friends and uh, mutual joints that we went to down in the Cape Town back in the 90s. So it was fun catching up. I enjoyed this conversation and, and getting to know Paul, the person, a little bit better. We spoke about a lot of detail about cricket and bowling in particular, touring, being part of a team bigger than yourself and getting the best out of you and uh, some great coaches along the way too. And uh, he's clearly a smart guy and he's done very well for himself and repurposing his uh, energy now into the game of banking and online payments now. So um, I enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure you will too. Uh, please let me know what you think. Remember to subscribe. Well, good morning, Paul. It's great to connect with you. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Now, I was obviously doing a bit of research about you and... Uh, I had to go back to my school archives, my yearbook and things. So you were that one year ahead of me at school. I remember us playing table tennis quite a lot in standard seven, I think it was, the middle school. Remember that uh, you were in seven, I was in six. Sure. I remember being uh, quite uh, fond of uh, table tennis. It was a joy. We actually had one at the house as well, so it was good fun. It was like a fun. I play with my son now. You're playing with your son now? Yeah, we got one in the garage, so I play with my son now. Yeah, it's lack Pretty of cool. fun. I, uh, it, uh, also, I ended up getting a table in this table years later in the Air Force, and we took it to the squadron, and it became one of those things. But I can remember being at the break times at school, wanting to, you know, if you won the game, you stayed on the winner stays on the table, and you could just try and play the whole break. You know, that was the, that was the challenge, sure. eh, Mark? That was the goal, yeah. <laughs> that was the goal. Or to, if, you, if we weren't playing table tennis, then we were playing cricket, trying not to get out, and you bet the whole, uh, yeah. the whole break. Uh, yeah, it's... Either dustbin cricket or table tennis, and yeah, lots of fun. Sure. But do I remember correctly, um, you being more like a surfer guy? Like, uh, you know, obviously you, you, you obviously play cricket and love cricket too, but, but my image of you at that time is uh, more of a surfer dude, kind of a, you know, you were out in the comic way and the, and the surfer guys. Was, is that correct? Sure. Yeah, I think that's probably a good, a good uh, analogy. I love cricket. Cricket was good fun. But uh, I think surfing was the sort of true love uh, when, I was, uh, when I was younger. We used to sort of, Finish school, blazer off, tie off, hike to the beach. Back in the day when you could hike, yeah. Um, there was also, I think there was a teacher. Was Mr. Duffett? He was the geography yes. teacher. If I remember, Duncan Duffett. And uh, he often used to, used to give us a lift every now and then because he also surfed. He used to give us a lift after school. 
and sort of spent most of our days on the beach. It was pretty cool. I mean, it was it kept us out of trouble, and also you know it's great for folks to play, you know, be outdoors, be in the ocean. I loved it. So I couldn't have wished for a better place to grow up than uh, in the valley. Uh, it was uh, it was great fun. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I remember a story also about Duncan Dufford. It was my geography teacher too. Uh, remember James Polly? He was also uh, big into surfing then. I remember and, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he would he would bunk school, but then uh, bump into <laughs> Mr. Dufford in the waves <laughs> later in the afternoon. <laughs> sure, I remember th- that. Yeah, it was, look, it was a it was a great place to go to school. I really enjoyed it. Though. Yeah, good times. Another thing that that you mentioned in the interview I was listening to was the Brass Bell. Another great spot there, Friday afternoon. So sure. if you weren't surfing, or maybe after surfing, you head to the Bell on like eight o'clock on a Friday. That was the spot. Sure. I still love going there, to be honest with you. I take my, uh, my family, it's a bit more chilled these days, it's more of a sort of restaurant vibe. It was quite a, um, a brutal place at one stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love going there. It's, uh, the food's good. Obviously, the view's amazing. Yeah. And sort of one of my favorite sort of waves, Cork Bay Reef, was right there. So we spent a lot of time on that side. I only went out there once, but it, uh, it was, yeah, to have your wits about you if you're going to go surf at Cork Bay. Oh, sure, you can get into a bit of trouble there. <laughs> and then just up the hill from the bell was the Troubadour where I saw the Nude Girls play for the first time. Remember the sort of mid-90s, the Nude Girls were all over the place I there. Remember, that was awesome. Uh, it was yeah. absolutely dry. I remember that, was it Michael Grendon? He yes. sprayed a massive... Uh, was it him? Or what, what do you call it? The, the, the fire extinguisher. The fire extinguisher, the one night. Remember that? <laughs> the, you were there <laughs> yeah. as well that night. I was there, yeah. The fire extinguisher, and then it's like... They delayed the show for an hour or something just to, to vacate the premise. Sure. I didn't know it was Michael. Sure. Wow. Okay. But it makes Michael sense now. You mentioned the name Michael Green and that all makes sense. <laughs> sure. <laughs> cool. Paul, okay. So uh, we, we established in the, the sort of that's the time of your life where, uh, you know, you're making a go of things and living a good life and you know, being in the sure. sea, playing cricket and, uh, and obviously jawling. You know, standard eight, nine or ten is a good time to be partying as well down that part of the world. But uh, did, did you have aspirations? I just want to get your, a sense of... Who were you looking up to and what was your ideas of life and, and was it to be a pro surfer, a pro sportsman or business or like what was your sort of mentors or what were you up to then? I didn't really know. I didn't really know. I loved cricket. Uh, Greg Autry was, uh, made a huge impact uh, early on in my sort of cricket career. He's, he's a, you know, being a, I don't know if he's still a Fishhook, he probably is. Probably. Also the, also the career coach, he also played cricket for uh, Fishhook Career Club for I mean, I don't know how many years, a lot of, a long time. He was my sort of first guy that really sort of backed me, I think, in Standard 8. Um, I, was, uh, I was in the first team playing cricket. Matthew Booth was our captain. Okay. Um, and, you know, we had actually had quite a good team. We had uh, sort of, uh, what was his name? Wayno, Wayne Bentley was there. We had, uh, um, who else was in that? I'm trying to think who else was in that team. But it, was a, it was a pretty good, uh, Mark, uh, was it? Mark Andy Peterson. Peterson? He yep. was in this, and it wasn't Mark. It was Andrew, his older brother. Oh, his boy, yeah. He was, uh, he was in, you know, he was in that in that team. We had uh, Louis as well. Forget Louis' surname. Um, he was just a good cricketer, um, and we, uh, Sean Forsley was a very good cricketer as well. Um, so we had a, we had a lacquer little team. Uh, but you know, going to Fishhook in those days, it wasn't really one of the traditional schools in in the Cape. So you know, we didn't really um, have too many selectors coming to watch us play. Um, yeah. So you know, it wasn't. You know, I, I remember going to trials and doing really well, but just not quite cracking it because I, you know, we didn't go to one of the top, you know, Weinberg, Bishop, Sachs, or, sure. or Underbosch. So you know, it was a bit. I, I thought unfair at the time, um, the way that uh, you know the sort of certain schools were above others. But it yeah. was that sort of political landscape at the time that you know I didn't play any provincial cricket in school, um, but probably not a bad thing. It probably made me a bit more, a bit more hungry and a bit more determined to prove. Uh, the brass wrong, and um, it wasn't until sort of uh, I think it was my when I, I was I turned 18 in November, so I was late in the year, 
and yeah. I was still able to play uh, Western Province Under-19 cricket once I'd left school. Um, okay. So it was that sort of dis- November, December period once we'd already finished matric. And uh, Vincent Barnes, who was the Under-19 coach, phoned me up and said to me that I must come to the Nets. I thought I was coming there to bowl, but then I got given my kit and I played in the Western Province Under-19s. <laughs> so that's kind nice. of how it, how it started. Um, but did I think I'd be a professional sportsman? I suppose in the back of my mind, I thought that I had a chance. My dad said when I was six years old, we were at, uh, at Newlands and I told him I played a test match there. So, you know, I Okay. Yeah, living I, your dream. Never, <laughs> sure, but it never, um, it never occurred to me that it would pan out the way it did. Okay, I just want to back up a little bit again. So, I mean, you talked about mm-hmm. Standard 8 playing, uh, playing the first team and Greg Hawtrey and, and some uh, you know, mutual colleagues from school. But what... Uh, was it was the playing that good that you thought that this was a possibility that you know being in a, good, a team that's doing well and dominating etc. Did it feel like you know sport could be something that you would you you would want to do more of? Or were you still thinking I probably go to varsity or something? Uh, look, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. That was the problem. So it was like I wanted to play cricket, but also I had my mom telling me that I need to go and study, and I tried a few things and dabbled and just didn't quite work. Um, so you know, it sort of. By the first year out of school, I kind of realized that I was decent at cricket. Okay. Um, I always knew that I was good, but I didn't have the confidence because, you know, if you don't get selected for the teams growing up, you don't feel that you're mm. any, you know, any good. Yeah. Um, so I started getting some sort of self-confidence, and uh, but the real true sort of self-confidence came a bit later when I joined uh, Northerns. Okay. And I remember at some point, I mean, uh, you know, this is just my memory. It could just be, it could just be a faded memory. But, uh, you know, you seem to have grown a bit. Like, I remember bumping into you on an airplane about 10 or 15 years ago and being quite surprised at how much taller you were. D- did you grow a bit at, like, matric or after? Did you, get, did you have a little sure. burst in height? I think, uh, I think I was pretty close to the same height in matric. I think I was just very, very skinny. Oh, okay. <laughs> a bit of, uh, uh, but but I think I was close to you. I think maybe I I, mean, I think I probably started growing when I was, stopped growing when I was about twenty one. So yeah, it's fair. Okay. I grow a bit more. Okay. Um, but yeah, so what is it? One one nine eight. So I think I was one nine four in the trick. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. yeah. I certainly did grow a bit bit more, but uh, but not. Uh, I think I filled out a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. You would have Caught taken out. the sort of professional stance. But okay. So let's just go back to the. I mean, so you you finished school and then the year after school. What did that look like? Did you enroll anywhere for college or, or varsity or anything, or did you just give this a go sure, at full time sport? I went, like a, I went to business school, but it didn't quite work out. Funny enough, it's come full circle. I'm doing my degree <laughs> now, which is a bit weird. Old yeah, undergrad good. in Karting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I, I, I wanted to play cricket, so it was pretty much uh, based on cricket. I played for cricket, Fisher Cricket Club. Uh, those first two years out of school, um, unfortunately, gen- it generally happens in the valley that all the decent sportsmen move on. Yeah, needed to move on, so I moved to Alma Merritt's, which was on the close to Ronnebosch Common, um, and played there. And there was a guy called Marshall Lodder. You know, he was a sort of big benefactor of the club, and you know, quite okay. a wealthy guy. Unfortunately, passed away, and he got a few of us over there. Myself, Andrew Paddock, uh, Herschel Gibbs, um, Neil Johnson. We all played together in that uh, Alma team. And that's sort of where I started learning to, you know, you cut your teeth. It was in those days, uh, club cricket was really good. The uh, older guys played a lot of club cricket. You know, you had sort of Gary Kirsten playing every second week for, uh, which is now Constantia Career Club. It was then Claremont Career Club. Okay. Um, you know, you had all the big guys. John Commons played on our side as well. Um, so you had all the sort of older guys playing on the side, and we learned a lot. And we played a lot of cricket. And at the time, I was also at the, the Super Juice Academy. So we had the Western Province Academy. I actually was in the academy for two years. I think I might have failed the first year. So they kept me <laughs> okay. in the second year. 
um, and uh, just sort of cut my teeth playing B section cricket. So, you know, in those days, bowl cricket was called bowl cricket, which was the B section. Right. It's incredibly strong. And we had an, an amazing team. We, uh, we didn't lose a game in five years. Wow. So, you know, we had a proper cricket team there, and I bowled a lot of overs and had some pretty good captains, Lloyd Ferreira. Um, was uh, was the captain of that side, and you know, sort of in the fourth over, would throw me the ball, and I'd bowl the whole day from one end, and uh, and then the other guys would uh, you know rotate the seamers from the other, and did you know, sort of exceptionally well in that in that B section, but never really got a chance in the A team because they had Claude Innocent and Paul Adams okay. at the time, so I wasn't really getting too much game time. I think I played two games for the main side in five years, but it was a good learning curve playing a lot of B section cricket. And you were around some, I mean, you mentioned Herschel Gibbs and, and Gary Kirsten was sort of in and out and around there. So, I mean, you're mingling with good people, too. That, that Western Province team was probably one of the best first-class teams that have ever sort of been produced. I mean, oh. you had guys like Gary, Herschel, uh, John Collins captained that uh, Western Province side. You had sort of Alan Dawson, Charles Willoughby. Um, I'm missing for Brian Millen actually was in that side for a bit as well, giving okay. my joy. Um, you know, yeah. you had sort of Mary Pringle come into it. You had uh, I'm trying to think of the batters: Andrew Paddock, you had Tommy Tulakile. Um, you know, you HT um, Ackerman, who was a wonderful cricketer. Yeah. Um, you know, you had uh, a really strong uh, setup. Um, Duncan Fletcher was the coach. It was uh, huge, and, and I think uh, Vincent Barnes was the B section coach. So you had a very, very strong system. Uh, Western Province cricket was uh, was certainly the heyday for Western Province cricket in those days. But also mm. it harder to make the team. Yeah, yeah, so for it sure. Was the bowl section, it was the it was the B section final. I, don't, I think I got five wickets in the or seven wickets in the first innings and eight wickets in the second against New, against Northerns. And Dave Mosworthy was the coach. And uh, the next day, he phoned me and said, "Do you fancy uh, moving to Pretoria?" Um, I didn't, to be honest with you. I didn't fancy <laughs> leaving Cape Town. Yeah. Um, but I made the decision that it was the right move for me. And at the end of the day, it was. I don't think I would have played uh, international cricket if I'd stayed in Cape Town. Mm. Okay, I want to get to, to that particular point, but I also wanted to, uh, the reason why I asked you about your height, you know, was that, did you ever consider being fast bowling? I mean, you're a big, strong, fast guy. I mean, did, did you ever consider fast bowling along the way? Has, has spin always been your thing? Look, there's, I think, thank you, but there's not too many fast switch fibers in this body. Um, I did bowl seamers when I was younger, but my back was, uh, I grew so quickly in that year, my back was a bit dodgy. Okay. So in order to play, that was in standard six in the middle school and in order to keep playing I had to decide to do something else so I decided to try my hand at spin and okay. so as the rest is history um, yeah, yeah yeah so I did start off I did start off bowling seamers um, okay. well the cool thing is that every good spin bowling action is based on a fast bowling action anyway so um, it was say more about uh, that you know it was a, uh, especially well not leg spin but definitely uh, we get into the technical side of off spin uh, that sort of okay. snap and drive over your front arm um, it actually helps if you had bowled seamers before. Helps okay. you get through your action. It helps you sort of get more revs in the ball, get more drift. But we're getting very technical on, on, on bowling, but uh, Th that's fine. I, I don't mind getting into the weeds here. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you throw you some technical things on flying just now. We compare cricket and flying. Sure. Okay, all right. So, sure. but we talk about Pretoria as well because uh, I ended up the same mm -hmm. thing just after school. I, I had the year off, and then I ended up in Pretoria in uh, in '99 to join the Air Force. And again, as you described in another interview, a bit like a fish out of water. Quite literally, surfing, sure. life saving, beach, brass bell. To Pretoria, culture mm. shock of note, and uh, and yeah, how did you experience that first sort of six months here? The first two. I say here because I'm in Pretoria right now. <laughs> sure, I'm in Cape Town right now, which is funny. But I still live in Pretoria. Um, yeah. Look, it was a two-year plan that turned into twenty, and I've yeah. actually fallen in love with the place. Um, for me, it's an amazing place to uh, 
to, to grow up and to bring kids up. Um, you, know, you still got that old school Afrikaans culture, and, you know, people were respectful, friendly. Um, mm. It's turned into a very uh, sort of metropolitan little uh, little town. I love it there. Um, what was the question? I forgot the question. Now, how did you experience that first six months of the culture oh, shock? Experience the first? No, I hated it. The first two years, all I wanted to do was come back. Um, yeah. It was, uh, you know, it's typical Cape Town boy. Um, yeah. But then I started really, you know, enjoying it, and I'm, you know, we, we had an exceptional cricket team. So, you know, yeah. the sort of I, I became friends with a few of the y- really young guys at the time: Abi De Villiers, Fafdi Plessy, uh, Anu Kun. Um, you know, they're all sort of four years younger. We all sort of, uh, we just sort of hit it off and became really, really good friends. And uh, we're a close-knit group of guys. Um, first, obviously, with Dave Nosworthy, and then it really clicked into gear when Richard Pavis came uh, came to coach uh, the Titans. Okay, so, I mean, you, you, at the time, uh, as a lot of people do when you, you go from such a different environment to Pretoria, you could just focus on work. And in your case, obviously, work is professional sure. sport, so you probably would have dug in hard. But you mentioned uh, this uh, Richard Pibus as well, where, and he's got a, uh-huh. a, a quite a good pedigree, and he did quite well. Just explain a little bit about the, what it is to work under a leader like that, who or a coach, guidance, mentor, who, who can get the best out of people. Because clearly, that's where, you, I mean, your career took a nice lift off there. I mean, maybe, maybe it was not necessarily the individual, not necessarily anyone, thing but the combination of things of you moving to Pretoria at that time sort of launched your career sure well look I I, hit the nail on the head Pretoria wasn't there's there's, there's less distractions right Uh, you know Cape Town is the surfing you know the the, the chicks although there's better looking looking women in Pretoria anyway I met my wife in Pretoria Um, but you you, you certainly are more focused and there's a more sort of especially at that time it was that sort of very Afrikaans you know driven environment. Um, Dave Nosworthy was quite disciplinarian, which I possibly needed um, in that time of my life. Um, we didn't do as well under him, but I think it needed a fresh sort of look uh, and take on how to you know, coach in, 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 in Pretoria. It was a very sort of structured, as I mentioned, Afrikaans environment. So we needed a bit of someone that was a bit more sort of uh, out there, airy-fairy, and Richard Pabas is 100% that guy. It was the first time that I think a coach really got me. Okay. I felt like I was the sort of outcast, not the outcast, but the sort of naughty boy of the team and, you know, boys pushing against the grain and, you know, like being told to shave every morning before you get to practice and, you know, cut your hair and, you know, it's like, for me, there was a lot of rubbish because, I mean, <laughs> I have long hair, I can still bowl, I can still bowl well. If I have a beard, I can still bowl well. Yeah. So, um, you know, he kind of got there and was a breath of fresh air. He's an English guy from the UK, but lived in South Africa most of his life. Uh, he's a student of the game, he understands the game incredibly well, not, not anyone else I know uh, that I've met in my life understands the game better. Um, master tactician, and uh, he's got, I think he's a doctor now, he's Dr. Richard Pivers, he's got, uh, I think, a doctorate okay. in psychology. So the guy is a super switched on guy, understands what makes people tick and uh, and treated everyone differently. So, you know, he would treat Paul Harris differently to how you would treat Martin van Jarsveld. Because Yada is very structured and, you know, needs to hit a million cricket balls before he goes out to bat. Whereas, you know, if I've bowled you know, 40 overs the day before, the next day I don't need to bowl. Um, I'm fine. Um, okay. So, you know, he, he kind of understood us and he just gave me the tools mentally to say, right, there you go. We're just going, going to have fun. And that's what we ended up doing. Uh, we, you know, we had a team that was led incredibly well by Martin van Jarsveld. And uh, we just went out there and had fun and we wanted to win incredibly badly. That's what okay. about Pavis is that he, he absolutely hates losing. So he instilled <laughs> that into us. Uh, you know, losing is pretty shit. 
So yeah. you know, anyone's book losing is not great. So um, you know, he put he installed that thing of you know, not winning at all costs, but you know, winning. You'd be playing the sport to win. Yeah. And uh, in order to be sort of considered great, you need to win a lot. But I remember also around that time, uh, you know, the sort of Pretoria franchise in, in the rugby too, the Bulls, the Blue Bulls, they, they had this sort of almost, I don't even know how to describe it. Certainly this is just my public opinion, uh, you know, sure. just from a, a, a layman who watches and doesn't really know too much about it. But they had this impression about them that this is a, this is a, a disciplined, built academy and we've got structures and, you know, we're starting here and we're building them up and the kids start at six and then they do the under eights, under tens and but you've got the C team, B team, A team. Sure. And it seemed to be that, that that kind of thing also happened for you guys at the Titans under, under Pibus. Is that a fair assessment? Where it's like this so. big, it's strong really brand that now. built, yeah. Sure, they did. They built an incredible brand and I think that, you know, Elise Lombard was the CEO at the time. Uh, she's sadly passed on. Um, you know, and she was the CEO of uh, of Northerns and then the Titans, I think, for 20 years. And uh, you know, she she added that sort of uh, ladies' touch to a male-dominated world. I mean, she was absolutely incredible woman, and she could have sort of built this legacy that's still there today. I mean, it's no secret the Titans is probably not probably is the best-run franchise in the well, now province again in the country. Um, you know, from structures all the way through to board level, down to CEO. Mm. Uh, they've got Jacques Faure there, Dr. Jacques Faure, who's just uh, an amazing cricket administrator. Um, so they, they tend to get it right in, 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 um, in Pretoria. For a very, very long time, uh, in the, the cricket team was a sort of perennial underachievers. Um, you know, they had a very good team, but just never won anything. Mm. Uh, you know, sort of always got to semi-finals and finals and then never won um, until Pibus came there and sort of changed that mindset. And we had a whole lot of young, really talented cricketers. I, mean, I mentioned A.B. come in, Hanu Kun, who I think was an exceptional cricketer, uh, you know, Faf Duplessis. Then we were incredibly fortunate to have a guy that sort of bumped into us in the academy with long hair out of Palabora <laughs> that was bowling thunderbolts, um, you know, at 160 k's an hour, and Dale Stain joined our setup. Uh, Mornay Morkel joined our setup. Um, Alfonso Thomas joined our setup, and Ethian Bellotti joined our setup. I mean, that's just a, you don't beat that. And then, you know, Pierre Joubert, I mean, people don't underestimate how good uh, Jiggy was. Um, he ended up being our captain after Yada. And uh, just that succession, you know, we were led incredibly well. And as I said, we were very good cricketers, but we also had a lot of fun. Mm. We were good mates, it helps. Yeah. Well, look, it ended up that Dale's now good taking your spot down there in Komaki and become the surfer. <laughs> sure, yeah, he's a wonderful human being. Uh, I love that guy. Him and I have become really good mates over the years, and uh, he's just a fantastic human. Really, is a great guy. So chilled off the cricket field, um, but a complete and utter psycho on the cricket field. <laughs> so he was the sort of perfect. Uh, per in my opinion, he was the perfect fast bowler. Okay, you know, he would he uh, want to rip your head off, but then off the field he'll give you a hug. So uh, super, superb, superb human. That's cool. Are you going to catch a surf with him while you're down there? He's in. He's still at the IPL, so I don't uh, know if I'm going to get to see it in the final. The finals on Sunday. I see. Okay. So we'll have to see if he's back in time. But I'd love to catch up with him. Uh, nice. But you, that's another thing you mentioned about sort of personality on the field, off the field. Maybe we can just spend a minute on that. Uh, and I don't mind getting into the weeds here about it. But you always gave me the impression where you. Um, 
you had this almost uh, aggressive, uh, make the attitude of the person more intimidating than the actual whatever the ball, the delivery, the the input that you're giving. But but the presence that you brought, you had a bit of a, a Shane warmness to you. I don't know if that's a fair assessment. That's what I, I would I saw on you. Um, and certainly not certainly not as good as him with the ball. That's for sure. You yeah, but geez. but the attitude of you know sure. I'm here and I'm going to make your life tough and uh, and you know go for it if you want kind of thing. Uh, but then you said, like, off the field, you're more chilled and lay back. So is this, like, a, a something you develop over time and it's a switch that you flip on crossing the, the rope going on the field? I think to, I think I, I think I got more chilled as I got older. I think uh, I was quite sort of intense in general uh, about my cricket. Mm. Um, and, you know, as a spin bowler, you don't have the, you know, you, you don't, can't intimidate someone with a short ball. You know, you can't scare somebody. So you've got to sort of, I've always thought that, the spin bowlers are the smartest guys in the team. Okay. Um, fast bowlers are generally quite stupid. <laughs> they just run in the Neanderthals and just let the ball go. Um, you know, the batsmen have got to think a little bit because they've got to concentrate for long periods of time. But then you've got the real craftsmen and you've got the spin bowlers and that are you know, pretty smart and have to work batsmen out. Mm. Um, uh, but So you don't have that sort of scare tactic. And you know, I, I, I learned a lot from Mark Boucher. He was my kind of uh, cricketer. Um, you know, he played incredibly hard. Um, and then sort of off the field, enjoy yourself. And, and, and that's what we tried to do, um, you know, especially when we went to, it, it boded really well when we went to Australia in 2008, because that particular cricket team had a bit of an aura about them. You know, people mm. thought they were sort of invincible. And for a long time, they were invincible. And, uh, but that cricket team that we went there with had a, the belief that we could beat them. And also we weren't scared of them. Uh, also really does help when you've got Morning Morkel and Dale Stane in your team. <laughs> Because you can be nasty when you've got guys bowling like that. You can actually be, you know, you can be nasty because, you know, you've got those guys backing it up. So um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was a game plan of mine to sort of get under batsman's skin, try and play the mental game. There were times where it didn't work. It counter, it was, you know, the, the, the guy that was on the other end sort of dug in and, and played well and uh, tried to show you that he was, uh, you know, the, the man and it didn't work. But there were other times where, Certainly it did, um, but I like to play like that. It was that sort of hard. I think we've, we've kind of lost that in the sport. Uh, we've got people being robots. You can't say anything to the best without getting fined. Uh, it's uh, it's it's got a bit it's got a bit silly. Uh, you know, the umpires get too involved. You know, it was a hard, tough environment. Test cricket. It's not called test cricket for nothing. Mm. And uh, you know, and we didn't have all the stump bikes and all that rubbish. And well, we did, but they weren't as good. <laughs> <laughs> our day th- th- thank goodness otherwise half of us wouldn't have played any cricket yeah um, but we like to play it hard it was, that, that was how we like to play and with the same with the Titans we like to play that hard brand of cricket yeah okay well I'll come back to that sort of time uh, that, that team in that era 08 but but let's uh, back up to so you have a, a good a good run at the Titans and uh, and you mentioned sitting at the brass bell uh, was it with Faf or whoever you were with having a beer getting that call up uh, I mean that must have just been an amazing time to get that phone call <laughs> but uh, funny story that you weren't actually sure if it was uh, called up or just in, no, want, to want to know your interest in the team sure I was actually took Colpac so I was playing for Warwickshire at the time mm-hmm. um, it was a sort of loophole in uh, in the sort of uh, local laws in the UK uh, mm. that where you could go play as a kind of local player um, you didn't need to have a passport you could go play county cricket so I'd taken Colpac and when you took Colpac you kind of gave up your rights to play international cricket Okay, well, you'd have to give up Colpac in order to uh, I was actually I think the first person to ever do it take Colpac and then play international sport after that Okay, um, so I kind of uh, when you Haroon Lorgard phoned me I kind of thought he was asking me would I, would I consider it um, and I said sure, but I had to phone, obviously phone uh, Warwickshire because I was under contract. 
Um, they released me and then I phoned him back and I said, sure, no, they've, they're happy for me to do it. He said, okay, well, um, in two weeks' time, you're going to be playing a test match. And I was like, hmm, that's a bit weird. I was actually on the, um, on the bus of going on holiday with Faf and, his, and Imri, which is his wife now, was his girlfriend then, and my girlfriend who became my wife, Marils. Uh, we were going on holiday and uh, so I was supposed to be a two-week holiday and it ended up being two days because I had to fly to, to Turban for a <laughs> training camp. So I suppose it's what every boy dreams of, right? That's the, mm. the call that you dream of. Yeah. Um, but you get a, a call up then you, and you're going to play a test match. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Years that day to celebrate. Uh, very, I'm not, don't doubt it. I'm sure that's great. Okay, so the, the, but this idea as well of just you know being part of something bigger than than you have been before. It's it's like a filtering system. It's it's the top of the top. Certainly in sport in South Africa to represent South Africa in cricket or rugby or those kind of things. It's it really is mm-hmm. an achievement and uh, it must must be nice. But I'm curious about when you arrive at that training camp in Durban, you actually see a lot of people that you, you've known for a long time because you're mingling with them in the in the first class as well in the franchise mm-hmm. cricket. Uh, you know, tell me about that experience where you, it's not quite coming home because you are stepping up, but it's two familiar faces. Sure. Look, I was fortunate in a lot of ways that I was 28 when I made my debut. I played a lot of first-class cricket. I played against the guys a lot. Um, you know, I was friends with most of them. Um, it was, uh, you know, I was, it was a, you know, Mickey Arthur, brilliant coach. So it was a pretty safe environment to come into, but it's still sort of, uh, you know, a bit intimidating, I suppose. You've got... You know, you walk in, I mean, I was friends with him anyway, but you walk in and are you in the office of Jacques Callas? Uh, you know, in the, in the office of a sort of, uh, you know, uh, Graham Smith, who commands respect. You know, you've got Bouchy there, he's spitting on you and shouting at you from the minute you arrive. Uh, you know, you've got all these guys that you've been, you know, growing up watching play. And then all of a sudden you're in that mix and all you want to do is prove to them that... Uh, they didn't make a mistake, oh, yeah. 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 The, they chose you for the right the, reason, the, yeah. That's the, sure, that's the, you know, you'll ask any cricketer that gets selected to play for their country is that you just want to show, you know, that you actually belong and that you, sh- you should be there. Um, and uh, luckily for me, it didn't take too long for that to, for that to happen. Mm. Um, but it was, it, it certainly is, I was more mature and older. So for me, I think it's easy. I think if you, if I was 19 and that happened or 20 and that happened, I mean, you talk to AB about it, you know, he's 19 years old, getting selected for South Africa, playing a test match. You know, there that can be, you know, the good news with there is that you're so young and dumb and, you know, <laughs> that sort of young, you know, you're not scared of anything. Um, yeah. That can be quite intimidating. I know he was quite intimidated at the time. Um, but because I played so much um, and I'd given up so much, it was my time and I knew that it was and I wasn't going to let anyone else take it away from me. So I was pretty focused. Oh, cool. And then that first game against India, you, you, <laughs> I mean, take, not only are you taking wickets, but you're taking uh, pinnacle prized wickets. That must have been an amazing experience for you. It was. It actually was, a, it was the previous test match that I didn't play that was in Durban. That was Mornia Morkel's first test match. Okay. And it was actually quite nice to be involved in a test before a test. Yes. Before your first game, you know, sit there. See how it goes. And carry the drinks, see how it goes, you know, sort of see, you know, exactly how a test match unfolds. And we were in under massive pressure because at first I wasn't involved. I only got selected after the second, after the first test match. We had lost uh, the first test match um, in, in Johannesburg. They'd beaten us. And, uh, and we were under the pump. So we needed to uh, win the next two to win the series, which we ended up doing. Uh, but we were under a bit of pressure, so to see that, but I don't think people realise the sort of pressure you're under when you're playing a, a test match. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's a pretty intense environment, uh, you know, especially when you're playing against a good team like India. It's uh, it's a high pressure environment, and uh, you know, to be involved in that first test which we won, and then the decider was in Cape Town, um, you know, and to come full circle from 
my sort of school career, um, you know, going to Pretoria, go, taking Colpac, and then it all coming back to my first test was in Cape Town. Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that must have been amazing. I mean, there's just something yeah, about playing back at home again. But uh, and, and and sure, particularly getting uh, like getting sort of prize wickets. Does it does it really matter, or does it uh, is a wicket a wicket yeah, on that first sure. game? You want to just notch something on your belt, or? Look, my first wicket wasn't out, so it was Dinesh Kartik. Uh, he wasn't out. Uh, I said Ralph gave him out bat pad caught Ashim Amla, and he didn't come near it. Um, so my first test wicket actually was Sachin Tendulkar. You can say that. <laughs> That's cool. Because uh, he was he was he was my second, and uh, yeah, I got him. I think caught slip. Carlos caught him at slip. I think then I sort of then you sort of realise that you belong. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can do this. I can do this. I can get decent guys out. Um, and you sort of get the confidence once you get a guy like him out that you can carry on doing it. And I think I might have got Sayway out in that innings as well. And I think maybe Dravid might have got him out as well. I'm not sure. Something like that. It's blurry now. It's a long, <laughs> long time ago. No, we're uh, digging back into it. But I want to ask you some specifics sure. on... Uh, we can get into the weeds, but I uh, just want to set the scene. I'm a complete novice. I do enjoy watching it, but I don't know the details. So I want you to get into some of the detail about how you build a, an over. I remember listening to... A, uh, an interview or a conversation or something with uh, I think it was Fanny de Villiers all those years ago how he would build an over to and uh, he, he was his thing was the fourth ball or whatever I can't remember which one but but tell me in the mind of a of a professional you know you paid to play cricket this is what you do you bowl spin how do you build an over in your mind against someone like Sachin Tendulkar? Look, it's a, it's, it's it's actually not rocket science. Uh, if, if cricket's a repetitive sport. So you, you've got to land the ball in the right area often enough to stop someone from scoring. So every single batsman in the world wants to score runs, that's the name of the game. Mm. If you can stop them from doing that, they'll either try something else uh, and score runs or you'll get them out. So whenever you're talking to a young guy and saying, you know, how do you work a batsman out, you, there are nuances to it. Um, but in general, the first thing is you've got to be able to land the ball where you want to or need to land the ball. Mm. And that's kind of what I worked on with, with Pivas, so going back a bit in it. Yeah. Is that we literally I literally bowled between fifty and sixty overs every day of my life, just to give uh, people an understanding of it. And he said to me, "When I can hit a five rand coin, five out of six, I'll end up playing international cricket." And he wasn't wrong. You literally have to be that good, um, and you can't miss. I mean, everyone misses, but you've got to miss less. Yeah. Um, and and it also depends who you're bowling to. Like you know, you're bowling to a guy like Saywag, you know, you don't have to do anything. You, all you got to do is land it because he's going to come at you. Okay. So you don't really have to do anything. He's in a block two, and then trust me, he's in a try and smack you. So if you can understand that, and if you bowl to a guy like Dravid, he'll sit on you. He'll wait the whole day until you do something, you know, until you bowl a bad ball. Okay. So there you might have to try one or two things to try and, you know, they didn't call him the wall for nothing. So it depends on who you're sort of bowling to, you know. So And then you can sort of also work on egos. You know, you're bowling to a guy like uh, Kevin Peterson, you know, not a bad thing if he runs past you to swear at him. Because you know that it's going to, you know that it's going to upset him, and uh, you know it might make him do something out of the ordinary. Um, yeah. you know, there were times where we did that with him, and he would score hundred. Um, there were times like at Edgbaston when we did that to him, and he got out and actually ended up that actually ended up winning us the game. So it all the you know there's the sort of skill aspect of landing it. There's the nuances of where you're going to sort of where you're going to bowl. Um, you know, are you going to come over the wicket? Are you going to come around the wicket? Are you going to bowl a bit faster? Are you going to bowl slow it up? Uh, it depends on who you, the situation of the game. It would be often with me where Graham would come to me and say, right, you're going at one and over. Um, then you bowl a little bit flatter and you sort of bowl over the wicket and you don't let them score because you know you've got Dale bowling thunderbolts in the other end. 
Mm. So you need someone to sort of clog it up. Um, so it all depends on the strategy that you've got and also who you're bowling to. So you, I mean, was your, often your game plan or the game plan decided for you is to just build the pressure. If you just keep delivering accuracy, because you talk about it's being accurate, but you don't turn a lot, but you, your accuracy is there. Sure. Yeah, look, it was kind of my role within that side. I would have liked maybe in hindsight to have a bit more of an aggressive role at times. Mm. Um, but that was my role in the side was to stop the scoring and to sort of get under the opposition skin. Um, that was kind of the, and I could back it up because I had two guys bowling 150 k's an hour. If you've got mm. guys bowling 120 k's an hour, you can't really say much. Mm. But if you've got the fast bowlers in your repertoire and uh, and you you know and you've got the batters that can score some runs, and you then then it becomes slightly easier. You know, if you're bowling and you've got 500 on the board, it's a lot easier than you bowling and you've got 200 on the board. So. You know, we were very fortunate that we had a top six that was probably the best in South African history. So, yeah, you know, that cricket team was pretty was pretty bloody good. I was okay. fortunate to play on that side. Yeah, that is a it's a privilege to be part of people like, like that. But I, mm. also, I just want to back up again to to the detail of, um, you know, you, you talked about a five rand coin. I'm not sure if you literally put five rand coins more chalk, chalk mark mm. or whatever. But I mean, fifty, no, sixty overs a day. You, there. I mean, and you, that, it's that's that detail, that specific landing it mm. there every time, five out of six. Correct. Yeah, every single time. Well, you're obviously aiming for six out of six. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but it, it moves, and you would, you would move it around, so it wouldn't be in the same place every time. So, mm. uh, and he sort of really challenged me, uh, Pavi. He was like, he, he kind of got my psyche. I mean, I'm quite a, actually quite a structured guy, um, but in an unstructured way. So, you know, I'd have my own way of doing it, but it was very structured. And he kind of got that. So, you know, he, he knew that I loved bowling. I loved it. I loved competing. Mm. Um, that's the only thing I miss about cricket is, is competing mm. and fines meetings. I loved fines meetings. <laughs> but um, competing was uh, what got me up in the morning. I loved it. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was the one time when, who was it? I, th I think it was Sachin. He was injured for one of the test matches. I can't remember who said, yes, he's not playing. And I was actually quite irritated that he wasn't playing because uh. all I wanted to do was play against him. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't there to play against the second guy. I would come in his place. I wanted to play against him so, mm. and get him out and compete against the best. So, you know, you know eating that five ring coin didn't just happen overnight. It was sure. a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And, uh, you know, having someone like Pavi who backed me so much from the start um, I'll tell you a cool story if I'm... Mm, you must. So the whole point of goal setting, right? So I'm a huge believer in it and uh, having a long-term goal. And he came into the into the Titans setup and said to me, you know, what do you want to achieve? I said, no, I want to play for South Africa. So he said, well, when do you want to play for South Africa? And I said, well, what do you mean? Yeah. He said, well, what date? So we sat down and we mapped it out and I said, I would like to play the sort of New Year's Test 2007 at New Year's. That's a, it was, this is four years before that. Yeah. And, uh, and we worked on a plan, little micro goals along the way over those four years and the scary thing was is that my first test match I played was that test match that I sort of prophesied that I would do four years before that um, I should have actually said two years and maybe I would have done it quicker <laughs> but uh, but it's weird how if you if you sort of say things and put a goal put your peg in the ground and then mm. actually put in little micro goals to get there my action was pretty terrible best of times um, so we had to work a lot on my sort of action getting the action technically right mm. a lot of drills a lot of one-step bowling where you just literally bowl in the crease a lot of bowling to cones and to firing coins which is boring because you don't have that competitive batter there yeah but um, you know a lot of bowling in the indoors winter um, you know missing missing weddings missing friends birthday parties 
Yeah, it's a lot to do it, um, but in the end, it's pretty cool. But that's great. That's a nice story about the goal setting, and uh, you know, you should do nail again. It's a five rand coin. You you put your marker in the sand and you hit it, which is amazing. I like that story, sure. Paul. Uh, I want to also just ask a little bit. So around the same time you were doing this, I was flying air shows with the with the, the Silver Falcons yeah, in the Air Force, so and it, cool. it was a lot of fun. And but one of the things I really enjoyed, and I've spoken about this before, is. You know, the air shows are beautiful and it's a lovely event and uh, it's it's a challenge and all those nice things. But just getting the, in the airplanes, you know, there's we had five aircraft and a spare, so six aircraft would go in this formation out from Langerbahn on the West Coast and we go to PE or Rand Airport or wherever we went. But that transit was just so nice because it was with your mates, it was with people that you're in a high-performance team together with and it's a relaxed environment. Uh, and we would transit across the country for no two hours at a time and sometimes we were super high like 15,000 feet and just scanning the environment talking sh- just talking shit on the radio like we had an inter- sure. interplanes radio just chatting to each other and looking at the, hey there's a beautiful river imagine we go hiking and uh, swimming in that river just nonsense but that banter and that camaraderie was beautiful and I'm sure that you had that as well can you tell me some of the, the, the nice sort of locker room stories or tour stories or tour bus or hotel what, what kind of things stand out for you you don't have to name and shame but what kind of events? Sure. For me, the transit was lovely to, to build the team. Look, I think there was always that uh, element of excitement before a big tour. So, you know, like, for example, 2008 was a sort of standout year. You know, you, we, we, we sort of toured India, England, and Australia in one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, drew in India, beat England in England, and beat Australia in Australia. Yeah. Um, so that year stands out for me, and that sort of was the combination of all the effort and hard work that Mickey Arthur and Graham Smith had put in putting that team together. I mean, people don't know, they dropped guys like Sean Pollock. I mean, they dropped Sean Pollock. Um, you know, you'd have to have serious balls to drop <laughs> Sean Pollock. They dropped him for more, they dropped him for more Morkel because they wanted someone that bowled 150 k's an hour. Mm. Um, so, you know, they made some, some big calls uh, and going on the, obviously on the plane, fortunately we all fly uh, business class, otherwise we've got stiff backs when we arrive. Um, you know, you sort of got that air of excitement on the on the aeroplane before the tour, and then you got sort of the build-up. But the the, the wh- what people don't know is that first day of a test match on the bus. Mm. Now you've generally got guys like Andre Null is quite loud, and Bachi who sort of play pranks and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. But you literally won't even hear a pin drop. Oh, really? Uh, on that on that first day, no, it's quiet. It's uh, guys are sort of that's that nervous energy in the zone. Um, yeah, you know, with the but the sort of crowd build up as you're getting closer to the game. I'll never forget playing in, 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 in uh, at the MCG, the Boxing Day Test match. You literally got guys brown eyeing you the whole time. You know, the Aussies are different. You know, zapping you, <laughs> yes. swearing at you, spitting, spitting at the bus. Oh man! And, uh, and you know, driving down, getting into the MCG. Uh, you know, getting into that stadium. I mean, I don't know if you've been to the MCG, but it's uh, it's a coliseum. You know, yeah. hundred thousand people on day one. Um, you know, 100,000 screaming Aussies is an interesting uh, experience sure. for anybody. In fact, when we arrived in Australia, the guy that stamped our passports, he actually stamped our passports and said, you swines have come a long way to lose. Yeah. So you actually get abused from the minute you arrive in Australia to the minute you leave. Yeah. Um, and we had, you know, as I mentioned, fines meetings. We don't go, we don't ever d- delve too far into, into what happens in the fines sure. meetings. But we had a particularly good one in, uh, in Melbourne because we'd won the series. And uh, and the change room is ginormous. It's it's probably the biggest change room you know, in the world. And Neil McKenzie and Mark Boucher are our two uh, sort of fines chairmen. So that's the sort of uh, good cop, bad cop uh, sort of scenario. And uh, for me, that all stand out. I think we started the fines meeting at twelve in the afternoon. I think we left the change room at eight o'clock that night. 
Okay. And just being, you know, just being sort of uh, together as a, as a as a group of guys. We were really, really close. I mean, you, you know, mm -hmm. People don't realize you travel together. You spend, I think, 2008. I spent eight days in my own bed. Yeah. So you know, you, you you kind of together all the time. So mm -hmm. you know, we were fortunate that we, were, we all got on really, really well. Um, there was a, there's a hierarchy in the team, sort of uh, unwritten hierarchy in the team where. You know, guys knew if you stepped out of line, those guys that wouldn't need to, the coach to say anything. The sort of senior players would come yeah. and say, "Dude, that's not how we behave." You know, you don't behave like that. Um, you know, you, you got some a lot of egos floating around, and you know, because of the fact that you got some pretty bloody good cricketers in that team, and we just didn't have any issues. I mean, even guys that we, you don't get necessarily on with 100% in that environment, we made it work. Um, and uh, he had some cool characters. Neil McKenzie was absolutely hilarious of the Jim Carrey of the team, um, you know, you had, uh, you know, Bachi who was the disciplinarian hard man, and, you know, but actually he's quite a soft duck, he's got a you know, soft heart, you'll never say he does, but yeah. he does. Um, and you had Cullis who doesn't say much, but it's got a wealth of knowledge. Mm. Um, and you had Dale who's probably the best PlayStation, I've never been anyone who can play PlayStation better than Dale. <laughs> Okay. Um, he's unbelievable. Him and Fafa, next level. So you had all these different sort of uh, nuances and personalities uh, getting together in a pretty high-pressure environment. It was, you know, when you win, it's pretty Sounds cool. like fun. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of good times. It was. But, okay, the so best time of my life, by miles. And then, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of preparation that goes into things. But I want to ask you a little bit about the sort of the debrief uh, aspect. And I'll share first my story that, you know, in the air show environment, again, five airplanes in, in, a, in a formation, flying low level, doing loops and all sorts. Speed range, 600 k's an hour, 5 Gs, in, you know, 100, 200 feet above the ground. So it's a it's a high-risk environment no, that's, but that's when you when you land we have we have a debrief you know, the show generally the paying public they don't see anything but as the individual you know that you stuff that up and you and then there'll be a sure. conversation and the leader will ask for any input and and I, you know somebody in the team will say listen i noticed that on the pool there for the loop uh just a moment later than uh, normally you know you could notice these sort of split second differences in in a routine and i'm sure that it's a similar thing for you tell me a bit about a debrief whether it's sort of Tea break, drinks break, sure. or lunch break, or end of the day playing day. Like, what is a what is a, a professional mm. team debrief, and what are the little things that people that you guys notice that maybe we as a public don't notice? Sure. Look, uh, cricket's incredibly, especially test cricket, it's incredibly st strategic. So uh, you know, you've got we have we've got a backroom staff of uh, you know three or four guys that have uh, stats on every player. Um, you know, you have videos of every player. Mm. And you have a plan for every player. So you know, you, you, I mean, I'll give you an example. You're playing against Verinder Sewag in South Africa. If you pitch one ball up, Graham would have, I think, blown a blood vessel. Uh. Um, you know, every ball, every ball's at his throat. Every ball's at his head. Every ball's at his shoulder. You don't bowl anything pitched up to. Him. Okay. Um, you know, he wasn't the best against the short ball. So that was a sort of example. Um, you know, if you if you bowl into a guy like Rod Dravid, it would be a usual short ball. But then you back onto fourth stump trying to nick him off because he would that was where he where he got out. So there was always a plan to every single batsman you bolt. Wow. There was always a plan on getting him out. And sometimes you wouldn't execute the plan as well. I think that's kind of where you're alluding to, right? Is that you you know you'd have a session or you'd have an hour generally because that's when you have a drink. Um, where you maybe didn't get it right. And then there would generally be sort of a, an eight cuck from Graham probably or there would be, you know, one of the senior guys would go, guys, we're getting this horribly wrong. You know, let's refocus and uh, and let's 
you know, get back, back, get back to the plan. Or if the plan wasn't working, and even if we had executed well, because sometimes yeah. you execute your plan very well, but the oak just plays better than yeah. you, then you're going to come up with a different plan. So you know, cricket's very strategic, especially Test cricket. And then you know, sort of after the day's play, we didn't really sort of. You know, you, you exhausted after the day, you sort of emotionally drained. It's good to go back, reflect, and the next morning come back and say, right guys, this is what we think we can do better. Okay. This is what we think we did well yesterday, or the day before, or this is what we did well in the game. So generally, if you win the game or lose the game, you wouldn't possibly have a debrief that day. Yeah. You would go away, you know, have a day off, clear your head. Come back. You know, sort of come back, reflect, and uh, then what did we do well, what didn't we do well? You know, um, what can we sort of, how can we, did you see any weakness in the opposition that we can sort of, you know, just try and, try and you know, aim at next time? And then we pick certain players, like they're key players, and say, how are we going to sort of, in the test series, undermine them and make them, you know, sort of doubt themselves? Okay. And, uh, and, and was a, you know, we did it in Australia really well, is we had Duncan Fletcher come with us. Yeah. And I think that the, I don't think there's a person on earth that wants to beat the Australians more than Duncan Fletcher. <laughs> right. So he came in and said, "You're going to have to fight fire with fire with these guys. You know, you can't show any weakness. If you show weakness, they'll kill you." Okay. And uh, luckily, by then we'd all been together for long enough, and we backed ourselves, and we actually came at them, and it really surprised them. They didn't expect this African team to come out and you know verbally abuse them, which you know never happens to the Aussies, yeah. where we did, and it kind of really caught them off guard, and you know. Ricky Ponting never liked it when a sort of young up-and-coming player would say something to him because he's Ricky Ponting. Mm. And the sort of strategy was as soon as he walked into bat, I'd have a go at him. Um, I sort of met him halfway. I was so excited to. <laughs> and uh, so, and it, actually, it actually got under his skin and he was like, he like kind of looked at him as if who is this guy and how dare he. Yeah. And if you sort of do that and get the captain sort of riled, then it sort of falters into the rest of the, the team. Like he did get 199 in the next test match, but the point was that we did get under their skin there was a strategy okay well that's interesting <laughs> fascinating mm. but yeah so you do go up ag aggressive early and, uh, and and yeah and if you're targeting players then the whole team's on board you know it's a chirp coming from anywhere at, at any time it, it, it could just sure okay I mean even Hashim would say the odd word I mean Hashim didn't say much uh, yeah. you know sort of in that way but even Hashim would say in his own way would you know walk past someone and say something and if it came from him you know, it would, it would hurt even more because he doesn't really say much. So. Yeah. And not, it's, not abu it's not abuse, it's not swearing, and yeah. it's, it's more along the lines of, you know, you know technically getting into someone's head, saying, oh, you know, you're not good enough, or sort of along the lines of, you know, with Ricky, it was more along the lines of you getting old, you know, give someone else a turn, yeah. that, sort of, yeah. that sort of thing, you know. And, you know, we really got under their skin. Um, and same with Andrew Simons. I mean, we really said we're going to have to have a crack at him because if he bats you know, any length of time, he can really hurt yeah. you. And, um, and we got, we did. We actually got under his skin, and he didn't have a great series. Yeah. So it was, you know, it's 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 those small things that people don't yeah. think about that actually can make the big difference in the end. But another small thing that you mentioned is um, uh, in a previous interview. Last question on that, specifically in your test career, and I want to move on to sort of post cricket as well. But uh, you, you mentioned if you're not concentrating for a five minute stretch in test cricket, you could mess up the whole uh, the whole match. Give me give me a bit more insight sure. into you know that sort of ongoing it's five days of of concentrating sure i mean look it's more sort of along the lines of uh, you know sort of if you drop a catch when you drop you drop a tindulka or you drop a punting mm -hmm. um you know on 10 or 15 they go on they'll get 100 it's as simple as that and that can change the sort of whole dynamic of that test match so you know every single ball is an event mm. so you know you've got to have the ability to switch on and off between balls Carlos was a genius at it okay 
So you know, you would you would almost as the ball's as the bowler's about to get into his you know, into his stride, he would then switch on. And as soon as he had faced that ball, you would almost like check, just watch him just go. And he completely switched off. Okay. And then he would switch on again for the next one, and then switch off. I mean, but you know, he would be fast asleep in the change room before he would get to bat. You have to go. You have to go, go wake him up, and uh, said, well, you know, you got to go back now." And then he would like sort of wake up. It looks like he's half asleep. And as soon as he walked over the line, it was just like this ability to switch on. Sure. Whereas you got a guy like a guy like Graham, and he'd be like headbutting walls and you know running up and down, and you know he's uh, quite a, quite intense before he'd go out and bat. So. You had to be on, but you had to be on the way you'd be on, yeah. the way that someone else would be on. So, you know, you had to, every single ball was as important as the previous. Yeah, ball. okay, but that, I remember that, that sort of, balls and events. that kind of switching on and off, and Gary Kirsten talks about it in the batting as well, like, sure. so you've got to be intensely focused for that 20, 30 seconds, and then you can Correct. relax. And that's a, that's also a, sure. something that you have to learn and develop, and a skill that you have to, to grow into. Um, I suppose in in you know in flying as well, there's a similar time where you can realise where can you relax a bit and where are you, you know, where do you have to focus. But also I would imagine I would imagine there you can never relax. No, you I can. I don't know a lot about I don't know a lot about flying. <laughs> you can order a cup of coffee and you can sit and look at the view. And <laughs> sure, okay. Okay, I'll so, take your word for it. so to move to a, a, a position post cricket now, we spoke about this a few months ago and I chatted and uh, and you had a very deliberate strategy and I know you retired kind of early ish. Um, we don't need to go into the detail of, of stopping cricket, but but the decision to stop, you mentioned it as a bit of a relief because you've done something a long time and, and now it's at least something you can look forward to the next new thing. But, uh, you know, switching off international stardom and uh, international athlete touring, etc., you've built your black book and your network of friends, but now it's mm. almost blank slate, start again. Uh, tell me about that transition and how you kind of thought about approaching life as now an entrepreneur, businessman, etc., it was tough. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I was fortunate that uh, early doors in my in my uh, sort of career in Pretoria, I met my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, and you know, we just had Aiden, our first son, or my only son, my first child, and um, you know, it, it was that. What do you do now? You know, it was I was 33, young to retire, but also didn't want to be that typical sort of. 40-year-old male that's coming out of cricket that's unhirable. So I did have a, I wanted to learn something else, let's put it that way. Um, I was fortunate at the time that I'd met a guy, Kurgus Deploy, who's a smart, smart uh, businessman and he sort of brought me into the payments world, um, well, sort of APM alternative payments world. We had a, a wallet called Salbux, which we sort of, I won't say that I was a founding member because I was not, um, but certainly was one of the um, first guys in that business. And uh, his whole deal was you sort of carry my bag and shut up and let me do the talking. And sort of learned a, I suppose he, he calls it, I learned a thesis in five years okay. on sort of how money moves and uh, you know, un understanding sort of alternative payment systems. And we built quite a nice little business there. Um, I exited in 2020, um, sort of have a private equity business with Jacques Rudolph, uh, ex-opening batsman. And, uh, and sort of towards the middle of last year, um, decided that uh, I wanted to join a business called Ozo, uh, which is also a payments business, which I'm still involved in. Um, and, uh, you know, thoroughly enjoying it now, but the actual sort of journey to get there was tough. You know, you're going from earning really good money to earning nothing. Mm. Um, you know, you're going from a world where you king to a world where you sort of the pauper. Um, don't feel sorry for us. We had a great life, but yep. the point is, it is a tough period for a uh, international sportsman, and there's been some 
that have you know it's been it, it's a worry for a lot of guys yeah. um, I think if, if I gave anyone any advice I thought I was busy when I was younger um, study something you're not that busy uh, yeah. you know when you've got a full-time job two kids and a wife then you're busy yeah. um, so you know I'm studying now doing that that sort of stuff now and I wish I had done it earlier uh, I really do uh, so that's the only thing I really possibly if you're gonna have a regret would be that is that I didn't do something else while I was uh, what? While I was playing and sort of upskill yourself because, you know, even if you, you know, a guy like, let's go like a guy like AB, for example, he doesn't actually need any money. It's not the point. The point is you've actually got to have something you to do. Purpose, yeah. you, need a, you, know, you need a reason to get up. He does. So he's fortunate. But, the, 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 you know, you, you, your life's, you only lived half your life, basically, yeah. when you finish playing. So, you know, you've got so much. You've got the real world there. You've got your kids. You've got your wife. You've got... You know, you've got some other things to do. So um, it was a really tough three, four years. Oh, wow, that long. That transition. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 up until sort of a couple of years ago even, it was, uh, you know, it's still that, you know, you 15 years behind your the guys that you were at school at, you know, with, with you. Know, and they all go, yo, I would definitely give it up to play one test match. You're like, you don't know kind of what you're saying. Because, <laughs> I hear you, but you know, we, you know, I, I would look up to a guy like sort of, uh, you know, a guy like Paul Harris uh, from R and B, and and look at him and go, you know, like that would be that's sort of the level that you you're looking to, you know, achieve and and, and look at as a as a businessman. Mm. He's an exceptional businessman. He's done it the right way. He's an ultimate gentleman, and he's built a sort of mass an empire. So he became sort of the the next sort of you know, the person that you look up to and want to sort of emulate and try and achieve. Sure. Okay. Now, specifically now in this last couple of years, I mean, my colleagues from, from the aviation industry all over the world, not just in South Africa, but all over the world, uh, they were hit hard by this thing. And I suppose there's, a, there's an element to it where it's like you're leaving a professional sport into something new mm. and they're in the same boat now. So what are the things that a, the person like that can, can build on? Like, what did you do? that you used in professional, uh, being a professional sportsman, you've got the disciplines, mm. you've got the routines, you've got the, sure. all those kind of things that work for you and help you be a better person in your team. What is someone like uh, you in the tourism game or you're an airline pilot or what do you suggest that they, that they build on to try and build this new career, you know, post-COVID post where the world looks different? Sure, that's a tough one. I think that up, upskill yourself. That, that that's the one thing that I've been sort of adamant on is always try and learn something different or something new. Or, and the thing is, you can have a black book of people that you know. Um, but one thing I have realised: if you don't have something to sell, them, or if you don't have a sort of value proposition, it's still only just a name in a black book. Yes. You know, you, you've 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 got to have something that they want or need or in order to use that black book and you have to be able to have the conversation and if you don't upskill yourself and understand what you're talking about it'll one it'll just be a few beers with a friend it won't lead into sort of anything sort of substantial uh, you know from a commercial point of view mm. so having the black book was some i mean i networked incredibly well when i played which was in my which was you know, sort of played in my favor when i when i finished playing um, i think i was generally quite a nice person to people which helps <laughs> Um, you know, so everyone has their moments. Um, so you know, if you're likable, people want to help you. Yeah. Um, which which also helps. Um, but upskill yourself uh, during your career, and upskill yourself after your career, and continue learning from clever people around you. Um, you know, I couldn't remember who said it, but I mean, if you if you're running a business, you must be the stupidest person in your business. Yeah. You know, put cleverer people than you around you. And, and and then manage people well. I think that that's one one thing people get wrong is that they see people as a, you know as time and not as a person. Yeah. 
understand that all people go home to a wife and kids and they have their own lives and treat people like her and, uh, and they'll work well for you and the same other way around is if you sort of got a boss and you know if he treats you well and you know you generally will work better for uh, for that for that kind of person so it was very difficult I'm, 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 honestly it was tough 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 in the beginning mm. uh, it was tough times for me and my wife but I was fortunate that I had her support Okay, well, that is that's nice to hear. Uh, just maybe just d- dancing back again, another uh, parallel we can draw here um, is you know coming off the sort of being dropped from the national team, and then there's still an option to play first class cricket. So in my situation, uh, again, I, I was trained to fly the latest greatest airliner, the Airbus 350, came to South African Airways, you know, sent to Toulouse to go and train at Airbus. And, and it's a beautiful aeroplane and it's a great operation. SAA was a, a wonderful company to work for. Uh, and then getting retrenched and, you know, basically stopped flying for almost two years. And now <laughs> I'm flying a little aeroplane, a little four-seater plane uh, with sure. a little propeller. And it's, but it's, it's the joy of flight again. And, uh, and it's a lot of sure. fun. It's not the same prestige and all those things that go with being a... Uh, you know, international person, but the, the joy of flight is still there. And I'm curious about your, you've kind of stepped away a bit from cricket, uh, knowing that you didn't want to go into coaching, et cetera. Where's your, uh, where's your relationship with cricket now? Do you, do you think about coaching and that kind of stuff now? Or are you involved in something? Maybe I don't even know you are. No, no, I'm not. Uh, I was involved in the national team for a bit, helping Keshav Maharaj. I still help him a lot with friends, so we speak a lot. Okay. So I'll continue to do that with him. Um, come a long way with Kesh, he's a fantastic bowler and a wonderful guy. Um, no, so I'm not involved in cricket at all uh, at the moment. Uh, it's not saying that I wouldn't be involved in the game in some way or form. Um, I love the game, but uh, sort of one or two, I think for a very long time I want to prove to m- myself that I could do something else. Mm. Um, but the game is still always there, it'll always be a part of me. Um, I don't want to play it anymore, besides in the garden with my son, okay. um, but I, I don't have the burning ambition to play cricket ever again. In fact, I don't want to play it again. <laughs> um, but uh, I certainly love the game. I watch it a lot, especially test cricket. Mm. And and my, and my son is obsessed, so um, I'm not getting away from it anytime soon, yeah. which is great. But I didn't have I don't have the ambition to coach as a as as, as a you know full time. I don't want to get back into that lifestyle of having to travel, mm. and, you know, be away from my family you know, for long stretches of time and. You know, I only have my kids around for a certain, you know, by the time they're 18, they're generally, you know, out the house. Doing their own thing. You know, yeah. my son's ele- 11 now, I've only got sort of seven years left with him. So, um, you know, I want to enjoy as much of that and my daughter as I as I possibly can. Mm, okay, well, that's uh, wise words there, you know, getting <laughs> getting wise in your old age there, Paul. <laughs> oh, man. Paul? I don't know about that. I just dig spending time with my family, that's all. So. Well, okay, so you, you said you don't really want to be involved, but do you think that, uh, um, like, what about just your son's school? They want, they want someone, they want the dads to come help out. Would you be involved, or is, there, sure. is it a bit too close? I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't coach his team. Um, that would be a conflict, I think. But I certainly, uh, I, I help, actually help out a, a young guy. Um, he's a quite a nice little spinner. We go sort of most Sundays, and I help him out. Um, I know his dad quite well, so then Aiden comes with. So I coach Aiden, um, but one-on-one, um, definitely, and uh, some of my mates' kids I'll help out, but I, I, mean, I, I wouldn't say I won't get involved in cricket again, but right now my sort of you happy? Atten- my, my tensions are elsewhere. Okay, well, Paul, it's been wonderful uh, catching up with you and having this conversation. Thanks for your time, really appreciate it, and uh, all the best with uh, online payments and uh, the career. Chasing the other Paul Harris.
I'd love to. Well, I don't think I'll ever get there, but it's always good to chase something. Yeah, good. Put that. Put your uh, goals in the sand. Four years. Where are you going to be? What date? <laughs> sure, 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 man. I think I might need a bit longer than four years to catch uh, Uncle. Paul. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, Paul. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir. No worries. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, real quick, it's Alex once again. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. Also, remember to subscribe and share this content with others. All these tips and tricks help us to create a better show. Better reviews, better ratings help us get better promotion and helps us get better guests. So thank you. <laughs>